Life Audio. Hey there, friend. Heather Creekmore here today. I am tackling the question, can Philippians 4.13 be my weight loss inspiration Bible verse? Whoa, what a question. Because we hear this so often. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we feel weak, we feel empowered by a scripture that tells us Jesus is going to help us do hard things. But is that really what the scripture means? Does it mean we set a goal and then we just pop this Bible verse on it to help us meet that goal? Yikes, it's tricky. Is that what the Bible's for? Just, you know, throw Jesus on your goals and hope he'll help you. And, you know, most of us know it's dangerous to claim a verse like Philippians 4.13 over a sporting event. But let me take it like to a different direction. So I was a campaign manager in the 1990s. I ran a congressional campaign. I knew that my candidate was the better man for the job because we didn't lie. and We didn't cheat. And other campaigns did all kinds of things to lie and paint my candidate in a bad way that distorted the truth. All kinds of devious things. But the short story is, I was praying we would win, and I may have even used this verse, that Jesus was going to help us win, because the good guys should always win, and we didn't. I think that when we use scripture out of context, and things don't work out like we wanted to, it can create a bit of a theological crisis for us. I can do all things. That's what it says. I prayed. I knew God had given me that job for a reason. Why or how could that reason possibly be for us to lose? Maybe your kid's sports team made it to the finals and had a similar outcome. Why is it that Christians don't always win in contests? Why does Philippians 4.13 not work every time? And Just being real here, if it doesn't work every time we claim it before the big matchup, why would we believe it would work like magic beans every time we set a weight loss or fitness goal? That's where we're going today, friends, because I believe until we understand what Philippians 4.13 is really saying, we'll never apply the scripture rightly. But beyond that, we'll never find the real joy, peace, rest, and contentment that Paul is actually talking about when he pens this scripture. Are you ready to hear what Philippians 4.13 really means and why it shouldn't be your fitspo, inspo, that's fitspiration and inspiration all mixed into one word, or your weight loss verse? If you're ready, let's go. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. 
Okay, so first, before we dig in too far, let me confess that I've not always been careful with scripture and I'm not perfect. I'm studying scripture more in context now and growing in my understanding of the gospel and the entire story of the Bible, but I haven't always done this right. So there's no shame, blame, or condemnation coming from me to you if you've got a drawer full of t-shirts with out-of-context Bible verses on them or Philippians 4.13 painted on the wall of your home gym, okay? But does context matter when we're talking about the Bible? Yes, it does. Absolutely, it does. The Bible is God's word. It's his story. And it's not a book where we can cherry pick a verse and then use it out of context to speak to our situation. A great example of this is a funny sign that my friend Jen, who lived across the hall from me in college, she had this on her dorm room freshman year. And the verse is Psalm 56.1, and it says, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. Now, it's hilarious, right? <laughs> but that's not the context for this verse. Like, it's not help if you've got a bunch of boys who want to date you. Uh, no, it's about war. It's about men wanting to kill David. So a little different. Well, the same goes for Philippians 4.13. Remember, Philippians is a book, a letter written from Paul to the church at Philippi. Can you imagine you writing someone a letter and then having them skip over like the first three quarters of the letter and then take one line from the end of the letter and just share it over and over again, telling everyone about it without any understanding of the context of what the rest of the letter said. Well, I certainly don't have time to read the entire book of Philippians for you today, and I hope you will do that in your own time. But I do want to start seven verses earlier than the verse in question, Philippians 4.13. We're going to start by looking at Philippians 4.7. Actually, I'm going to go to 4.6, and we're going to read all the way through 4.13. Here it goes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is saying that he has learned the secret. He has figured out how to be content in any and every situation. Wow, I'm not there yet. Are you? But let me just reread verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, right? I think that's a better translation than I can do all things <laughs> through him who gives me strength because that allows us to understand that the this, the things, as some translations put it, is really what he's talking about before verse 13. And it's really about contentment. Most of us struggling with body image issues 
I think if we're honest, would have to say beyond the situations, circumstances of life we encounter, we're not even content in our bodies. Yikes. But Paul here, he says he knows the secret to contentment. Isn't that really what we all need? (laughs) The secret to a better life, the secret to being free from pain, the secret to unlocking joy or peace or rest. But here, Paul knows it. And actually, it's interesting. He doesn't say he discovered it like those of us just trying to discover like the right diet or the right way to eat or the right way to exercise, like trying to find the holy grail of body transformation where like Indiana Jones trying to discover it. That's not what Paul says. He says he learned it. Yikesville, learning, that's harder. Learning requires time. It requires endurance. It requires patience. And sometimes it even requires suffering in the midst of the learning, right? Discovering would be so much more fun (laughs) than learning. Well, recently I listened to a Tim Keller sermon on this topic, and you know what happens to me when that happens. (laughs) So I want to give appropriate attribution for many of the thoughts inspired here. Tim Keller has a way of preaching sermons on topics, and he usually just like really briefly mentions like two words or one whole sentence and just kind of casually applies this to our bodies or appearance issues or weight issues. And I hear this when I listen to him speak and preach. And then I think, oh, I think there's a whole thing he said could be applied more directly to our body image issues. And so that's what I'm doing here again today. And so in this passage, we see that Paul has learned the secret to being content. He says he can face whatever he's struggling with. And I love how when Keller preaches on this, he's just so raw and honest. He talks about how we hate to struggle. And Paul says he can stare any struggle in the face because he learned how. But we're like, help me. I can't take it anymore. I'm struggling with my boss or my spouse or my mom or my bills or my calendar or my lack of time on my calendar. Like you name it. But for Paul, his struggle was a little different than mine. Paul was about to face torture and execution. He already had faced some level of torture. He was incarcerated in prison, and his prison was a whole lot more like a hole in the ground than any prison we can imagine today. And yet Paul says he's got peace. Now That's kind of a crazy thing to consider. It's amazing, really. What would it be like to say, no matter what, no matter what my body looks like, no matter what my weight is doing, no matter what my hair is doing, no matter what menopause is doing to me, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. What would that be like? I gotta be honest. I don't think most of us are there yet, are we? I struggle. We're going to go to a quick commercial break and then I'll tell you Paul's secret right after this. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on The Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Okay, so the other thing to notice here is Keller talks about how this kind of contentment isn't an offer of Christianity. It's a commandment. Now, yikes, like, okay, this is where it gets tough, so follow me here. But it's not just like, hey, get some Jesus, and then you'll have some peace too, right? Or get some Jesus, and then you'll have some energy to get that worked out done. Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ. A little Jesus, and you'll meet your goal. No, it's that when you decide to follow Jesus, he is enough, period. End of sentence. Jesus is enough. It goes back to the Ten Commandments. No other gods before me. You literally do not get the option to have Jesus and your comfort, to have Jesus and your desire, to have Jesus and your own will, to have Jesus and your plan for where your identity is going to come from. You only get Jesus. And that is supposed to be enough to satisfy. You may have to rewind and listen to that part again because it's big. And really what Paul is saying is, is that this is so far from being a verse <laughs> to be applied to our weight loss or fitness goals. He's saying that God's way is the way of contentment because we know that no amount of fitness, no amount of weight loss, no amount of an ideal body or an ideal circumstance of any kind will actually be able to bring me contentment. We have to understand that only Jesus can do that. So it's not whether you win the ball game or win the election or meet your fitness goal or meet your weight loss goal. It's not about God empowering you to do that. It's about God empowering you through Jesus to be content. I don't know about you, but I wonder if that sounds harder to achieve than that weight loss or fitness goal. Oh, but I love how Tim Keller, when he preaches this, he doesn't leave us there. He reminds us that if God is commanding something, then it has to be available to everyone. He won't command something that is only attainable for a few. He won't command something that is unattainable. And really where Tim Keller goes next as he teaches this concept is into the land of coveting. Oh, I that you didn't know we were going to go there today, did you? <laughs> but Keller explains how coveting is an ancient word, 
and how we really don't have a good equivalent for it today. He distinguishes coveting from wanting in a way that, like, I will never forget. This has really spoken to me. He talks about how coveting is sinful, but wanting is not. And here's the illustration he uses. Wanting, he says, is when you are the dog and the want is the tail. Coveting, he says, is when the want is the dog and you are the tail. Oh, do your wants lead and guide you? Do your wants determine every move you make, every decision that you make? Because then you may have crossed the line into coveting. Do your wants about your body determine how you eat and relate to food? Do your wants about your body determine how you prioritize exercise or how you spend your money? Mm. Keller says that coveting is an inner grasping after things with this sense of conviction that I have to have this or my life has no meaning. My life is over. I'm dead. Nothing else matters. He talks about how in coveting that want kind of has you by the throat. It's ready to slit your jugular. It just feels so imminent. It's in charge. It's the reason you're unhappy, depressed, worried, anxious. You get upset and you feel miserable over it a lot. That is coveting. It's an inordinate desire. You are the tail and the want is the dog. Do I need to give you a minute just with that? Because <laughs> I felt like I needed a minute after I heard that. Whoa. When we're coveting, it's no longer just a want. It's slavery. And like we talk about a lot on the show, it's also idolatry. This is why, friend, when you tell me that you want to lose weight to be healthier, I'm always going to encourage you to examine it through this lens. When you tell me that you want to lose weight or change your body so that you can feel better about yourself, again, I'm going to take you back to this lens. Are you the tail or are you the dog? And it is so hard to be honest with ourselves when we answer that question. It is so hard to see all the yick in our heart around that. But if we are coveting, we are missing out on contentment. And Keller points out that there are three secrets to contentment in this passage, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. First, he explains how contentment is a secret. And he says it's a secret not because it's tough to learn, but because it's not obvious to the average person. Contentment eludes us because everything else in our culture is telling us that when we have a want, when we desire something, and when we get that thing we desire, then contentment and happiness comes. That is the world's secret for contentment. But it doesn't really work that way. It's not really true. It makes me think about my kids at Christmas time. They are desperate for their new Lego sets. They can't wait to have them. Oh, how great life will be once I have this Lego set. But then three days after they've opened them and put them together, they get the catalog out and they're looking at what new Lego sets they want, right? Like, oh, can I spend my Christmas money on another new set? Wait a second. 
I thought those Lego sets you got for Christmas were all you ever wanted or needed. No, no, it lasted three days. The buzz wears off. We are the same way. These wants that we have that the world tells us will satisfy us will never satisfy us. We think the weight loss will satisfy but it doesn't. And then we have the skin to fix or the deflated parts or the parts that look more wrinkled now that we're thinner. It's a never ending treadmill. I have so much grace and compassion for celebrities that go through all those plastic surgeries because they've just been on the same treadmill we're on, but they've been on it longer and they have more money than most of us. So they can take more action, shall we say, but we're all the same. Our kevening makes us miserable. And beyond that, friend, it offends God's heart because, again, he is all I need. It's not Jesus and weight loss or Jesus and a strong, healthy body. It's just Jesus. I think of scenes I've seen on TV or or some people I've known in real life who are facing debilitating disease or even facing a death sentence with their condition. At that point, you have to learn that Jesus is everything. And some of these people demonstrate such amazing contentment, such peace and joy, such rest, such confidence that God truly has them. While candidly, I live in a fairly healthy body and I wrestle contentment. How can these people who know their death is coming quickly, how can they do this? Well, in order to do it, they have to stop coveting. Now, is it possible to get a terminal cancer diagnosis and still be miserable? Absolutely. Because you can choose to keep coveting. You can choose to be stuck in the bed at the hospital, wishing for things to be different, longing for all the things that you no longer have. But that's a miserable way to go, isn't it? The great news, friend, is that we don't have to wait until we've got a terminal diagnosis to be free from coveting and rest. We can find it now. (laughs) In fact, we know we have a terminal diagnosis because, friend, none of us are going to stay on this earth forever. Eternity is what really matters. And I think that's what God wants us to do now is to act as if we have a terminal diagnosis, to act as if heaven is what really matters, to stop coveting and find our satisfaction in him. The second point that Keller makes about contentment is that false contentment is revealed always in both plenty and want. You can tell if you have true contentment by what's happening in your heart. He also talks about how these longings for bliss or pleasure or something to take away the pain. These are all longings that God put there. There are so many things in this life that give us a taste of that, but they give us a perishable bliss is how he calls it. We believe it will last forever, but every time we try to meet that need with something on earth, be it falling in love with someone or a fabulous new job or a great new car or a fabulously thin and fit body, the pleasure always fades. And that's a dagger to the heart, he says. Our pleasure is aroused, but not fulfilled. Real contentment always eludes us if we try to find it in these things on earth that bring us pleasure. We think if we follow our dreams, pursue our passions, the pleasure is waiting there, but it's always temporary. Keller goes on to quote a man named Henry Gibbons, who talks about this concept of everyone having a life's lie. And this rings so true for me. My life's lie was that as soon as I had a better, thinner, prettier, more attractive body, then everything would be wonderful. And I pursued my life's lie for the better part of 25 years. 
He talks about how it's a huge grace for some people that they can get what they've always longed for or achieve what their lie told them would make them happy. If they can do that earlier in life, then they can see that it's just a lie and it doesn't actually work. But what happens is when this happens, like we can turn bitter, right? Like I was kind of mad at God that all of these things I thought would make my life perfect actually made life messier or even more difficult. But friend, it's immature of us to continue to pursue our life's lie. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you have to grow up. You have to start chasing him, not your life's lie. It's time to put those childish things behind you and know that true contentment comes only through Christ. There is nothing else that will ever or can ever satisfy you. Optimal health, wearing the size, having the man, having the family, every one of these things will still leave you longing at the end of the day, unless you learn to be content in Christ alone. Keller quotes a woman named Cynthia Heimel, who wrote for a publication called The Village Voice. She's not a believer. She's not a Christian, but she made this very astute statement. When God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, remember this. He grants your deepest wish and then giggles merrily as you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. Yikes. She's not a Christian and understand it's not good theology to believe that God's playing a practical joke on us, but she kind of nailed the truth, the concept of Romans one, right? It's we are chasing created things instead of the creator and it always falls flat. It's always depressing more than it is life-giving. It's us putting temporary things into ultimate positions in our lives. It's our coveting. It promises so much, but then it leaves us empty and disillusioned. So back to Philippians 4, Paul says, this is the old King James version, that he's learned the secret of abounding or abasing. In other words, he knows how to be down and he knows how to be up. If we want to grow up, we have to recognize that the secret to contentment is not found in learning how to have our best lives or in manipulating, controlling everything so that things will always be quote unquote up for us. Keller says that there are four things we naturally do that we need to stop doing if we want to grow up and be content. The first thing he says we do is we blame the thing. So when it comes to our body image issues, I wonder how much blaming of our bodies we're doing. Oh, I've done this. If only my body would cooperate more. If only I was made different. We keep our focus on our physical bodies and we blame them for not making us happy or bringing us the contentment we want them to bring because they're just not changing the way we want them to change. But our bodies can't do it. They'll never do it. They were never designed to bring us contentment. The second thing Keller says we do is we blame ourselves. And he talks about how this can lead many on a journey into psychology to kind of figure out like, oh, what happened to me in childhood? What's wrong? What's this deep issue in my psyche that's like really causing me all these problems and distracting me? And and he says there's really, there's nothing wrong with digging in to your background and kind of figuring out like what some of the junk is that's there. But he also warns that these can be red herrings. In other words, these can be things that distract us from a spiritual sickness, which is really what's ailing us. Because psychology can't answer questions like, why are you here? Why are you dealing with all this false guilt? What were you built to do? 
Where does your worth come from? As soon as you try to make science answer these questions, he says, you're in religion because these things cannot be tested and proven with science. So blaming yourself for not being disciplined enough or having enough quote unquote self-control to get the body of your dreams or having enough energy or determination, this doesn't actually get you to where you want to be. Neither does it help you grow up. It just keeps you stuck, really navel gazing. Keller talks about the third way we process this is we take it out on the universe. We blame the universe, blame everything and everyone around us when we get what we thought would make us happy and it doesn't. We think it must be everyone else's fault, the universe's fault. And he talks about how this kind of mentality and attitude can often lead us to putting up a really tall wall around our hearts because we don't want to get hurt or disappointed again. And this kills our openness and our creativity. He reminds us that we are built not for this world, but for eternity. We are built for a love that we can't find on the earth. And if we keep looking for it here, we slowly kill that part of us that is made for so much more. And we end up turning cynical. As C.S. Lewis says, When I find in myself desires that no experience in this world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is that I was made for another world and that earthly pleasures that I see were not designed to fulfill, but to arouse my desire for that place. The only way to find contentment is to learn it, to unmask those lies, those earthly dreams for what they are. They are idols to see our covetousness and repent of it. We have to ask ourselves, what are our hearts trusting in? What besides Jesus has become my identity, my joy, my main preoccupation, my loyalty, my delight, my salvation? Remember, idols aren't always bad things. Most of the time, they could actually be good things. That's why I think the concept of chasing health is so tricky. No one's against health, but health makes a wonderful idol because it is so healthy and godly sounding. Keller talks about how everything we chase, everything we try will give us a buzz at first. He makes the joke that even heroin is great at first too. When you finally get your idol, it is a buzz. But this is when you have to preach the gospel to yourself and see that this thing that you've chased cannot give you worth, righteousness, or identity. When you gain something wonderful, Keller suggests that you consider it icing. Okay, follow this illustration. You're grateful for the gift, but you don't see it as the main part of your Christian life. Just like you would never see icing as the most important thing you need to eat every day. It's a treat. It's a little something special on top of the cake, but it's not the cake. Communion with God is the cake, right relationship with God, learning to love him, seek him, feel his presence, know his love. That is the cake. And that requires obedience. You have to get real about what you are looking to, to make your life feel fulfilled. Are you living on icing? Do you just want more icing? (laughs) Are you ignoring the cake? So what is the context of Philippians 4.13? Philippians 4.13 is the last sentence in a passage that teaches us how to find true fulfillment in this life. But it's a passage that directs us to look to God as the only one who can bring us that fulfillment. He's the only one who can satisfy us in plenty or in need. It's about being able to do the hard thing of being content 
even when we don't get what we want or when life doesn't go how we want it to go. It means I can do all things through Christ. I can be content with whatever my body or my life looks like instead of God, please let me use your power to change my body to meet my own desires, wants, or covets. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the right verse to slap on my Christian workout or on my Christian diet. Paul is saying that he seeks nothing but Jesus for contentment. Is it really appropriate for us to use this verse as we pursue goals, dreams, and desires that are not him? I'll let you decide. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope something has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. Hopping on here real quick to remind you that the Body Image Freedom Framework course is open. Friend, if today's podcast spoke to you, if you're like, I have no idea how to make Jesus my contentment, I have been chasing weight loss, body transformation, body change for contentment for days, decades, years. Friend, I think this course will help you. It's not too late to get in group coaching. We've had one session so far, but you can still jump in. I think that's the best way to do it. But if you're not at a space right now where you're financially able to do that, take the online course. It will help you sort these things out so that you can make Jesus what and who you pursue for your contentment. Go to improvebodyimage.com and you can learn more there under the courses tab. Well, hey, the Compared to You podcast is part of the Life Audio Network of Christian Podcasts. Great Christian content there on just about every topic you can think of. Go to lifeaudio.com to learn more. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.